Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And I am so fortunate and excited to actually have a repeat guest, one of my favorites in education world and just life in general, uh, Laura McBain, who has helped me in my own journey. Jeez, it's it's been a long time. I was, I think I was trying to go back and look, man, it's been over a decade. So it's weird how time goes by, but yet we don't get any older, right? So um, I like that. Like, I feel like I'm getting wiser, but I'm still in my youth or trying to pretend I am anyways. And for those that don't know, Laura, I'll have her introduce herself here in a minute. You are going to be um, in for a treat with the insights and the perspectives that she brings um, along with just not the work that she does at Stanford Deed School, but also with her latest book that she has published with a colleague of hers called My Favorite Failure, which I think is a topic that we hear all the time, but the way that they have framed up the concept of failure is 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 really, really engaging and exciting and really kind of makes us think about failure through some new lenses. So before we jump into that, I'm already getting excited. And uh, Laura, who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you got going on? And that right there could be the whole podcast. Just what you're doing, so. uh, first of all, first and foremost, one, thank you, Aaron. I, it is funny. I remember our first meeting, which was, you know, when my former job, which was, I was one of the director of professional learning at high tech high, which is where you and I met. Yep. yep. Oh, so long ago, we still look the same. Um, That's right. That's right. <laughs> and we were, you and I were playing with how we might scale uh, project-based learning right within your community. And we did experiences on the site. We did exhibitions. And I don't know if it's a good sign or a bad sign, but we continue to have these conversations. And, they, and so the ebb and flow of making movements within communities, then they get stalled, then they get started again. This like ebb and flow of innovation um, is really fascinating. And it actually really relates to the book actually that I wrote on failure about this question of like leading to success or versus an ebb and flow of learning postures that we take. Um, so excited to have that conversation and about me. I am the one of the managing directors of the Stanford D School. I also um, co-lead the K-12 lab here at D School and then have spent um, a long time uh, working at the intersection of design, um, equity, and um, really innovation within schools, um, having been a middle school principal, uh, teacher, high school principal, and then spending a lot of time um, just working with amazing educators from around the globe um, to help them think about what does innovation, justice, and really authentic work look like within their community. So that's about me. Yeah, I love it. And it's funny as you're, as you're talking about how we connected and here we are still having some of these same conversations, but obviously landscape has changed. And it makes me it makes me think about this this thing that I think sometimes gets gets confused. People will 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 come across something new, um, whatever the the new buzzword or acronym or thing might be. But at the heart of it all, and I don't mean that in a necessarily a negative way, um, it comes back to the same old adage, right? Of like it just all the work you just said you're doing around cultural and the equity and just diversity it's it's about it's about the human experience 
So like we were just saying right before this call, right? We, it doesn't, doesn't matter what tool you use. It doesn't matter what framework that you adhere to. Those are just ways to drive conversation and, and actually take the words and actually start to put them into practice. But this stuff is always like, oh, how do we do this? How do we do this? It's so many times I want to be like, we've spent so much time focused on like the content and this and like, and we wonder why it doesn't work. We forget about, hey, we're all humans, by the way, you know, and I think maybe it's a positive slash negative. I think after this, this COVID thing and everyone always brings it up, but there's some truth to that. Like the things I'm seeing is the anxiety and, and kids, anxiety for adults and kids, just the mental awareness of how people are feeling is at an all-time high. And you're feeling that now in schools. And now schools now are going, oh, we can't ignore this anymore. You know, as, as you're sharing that, uh, that's not how I wanted to leave. But I think it's so important because these conversations continue to happen because so many times people want to dive towards the content or the data versus the human side. I think that's so spot on. And, you know, for those, you know, um, who don't know me, it's funny. I I definitely in the last, you know, 15, 20 years or so, um, yeah, it's almost 20 years now. I started teaching in 1999, 2000. It's my first year of teaching. Um, <laughs> and um, and I, I think, you know, as we think about this work, especially getting trained as an educator, we're really focused on how might we, at least in my training, and I think this still stands true, in teacher prep, we're focused on how might we best deliver content to young people. Very much focused. And some of that is actually quite good, right? Like how we do design inclusive classrooms, how we design equitable practices for dialogue in a classroom, how we assess students in interesting ways. Those are all really great things. And I think now having spent, you know, the last decade or so thinking about human-centered design, I think one of the really key, key things that I think I continue to see what makes, I would say, like why it's always great working with you uh, is people that have the capacity to start noticing um, where shifts are happening, where I would say stickiness is happening, where like something is not moving, but really creating the capacity to be like, whoa, there's a lot of ebb and flow in this um, movement toward how am I going to change my school, whether it's becoming a design-based school, a project-based learning school, a deeper learning school, whatever you know, um, framework you want to apply to, um, but really building the capacity to how do I connect with the humans and the educators in my care, and how do I find the right approach that's going to support them, elevate them, and actually bring a very, what I would say, a very asset framework or asset mindset to their work is that, you know, I think you highlighted it, like these past couple of years have been really tough, and educators have stepped up, you know, they're exhausted. We're all tired of being on Zoom uh, and all the things. And so there's definitely things that we've lost, you know, you know, there's a lot of harm that I think has been caused. And I think that one of the things we need to continue to wrestle with is like, how can we ensure um, that we're really solving the sticky problems that we're, we have not addressed, which are equity issues, which are, you know, lack of, um, I would say sustainable supports and resources for educators and schools. That's true. We have to not lose the ball on that. And at the same time, how do we also balance that with, um, you know, it's supporting educators with practices that they know how to do well so that we can scale those in ways that feel equitable and inclusive for everyone. So those are the tensions. I think one of the things I think about a lot is tension. So again, a broad spectrum thinking, if you will, um, which I didn't come up with that term, but, um, you know, that concept that's hard to 
uh, wrestle with. And yet, in order to make change, we have to take in the tensions that both are true. Like we have a lot of problems to solve and we have to never lose our sight of those. Those are really important. And we also have to care for people and make people like continue to um, get understand how, what they're really good at. Both are true. I love that. And so as you were talking just there about tensions, it's it's something that I that I wanted to to bring up in this conversation, and it, I think it's pretty fitting. And so um, I'm going to segue from your book and then come back to your idea of tension because I think it all all relates to to a tension that I'm I'm seeing in in, in the K-12 system. And so in the book that you wrote with with Ron on on my favorite failure, just to kind of frame it up for those that haven't come across it, one they need anybody who does anything with anything that's about taking a risk and inquiry and wonder, which is AKA being a human, whether you're in education or not, we come across failure. And this book really sets it. I love the framework of, of looking at, at failure through like 10 emotions. Um, and it really opened my eyes to, to really reevaluate how I use the word failure in my practice and mm. my work and my teaching. And, and within there, there's something that I want to dive into, but, but there's something in, in the book that you, you said um, that, in there, and you, 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 you write in there, we don't teach about failure. Education systems sometimes develop an obsession with success. And you were talking just there about tension. And that makes me think about how do we, I'm going to say separate, and maybe that's not the right, right way of going about it. Separate this idea of exploring the topic of failure in, in the learning process and making that separate from what I think is the tension in education that so much of the systems in place are built on a deficit mindset. Like let's find what the kids can't do and let's go drill down on that to the point that we don't, we don't like learning anymore, you know? And so I know it's not the same and maybe, maybe we don't teach it. Maybe we do. I'm curious on that because I feel like that tension struggle is where do we, how do we allow space in the school day for kids to grapple with the ebb and flow of learning when there's so much pressure to have the, the scores go up, which then leads to deficit frame models of implementation of ideas? Yeah, I think that's well, such a great question. That's a fantastic question, Aaron. And I think that like, one, thanks for asking it, because I think it's right, is like, there is this tension of like, and I, and I want to be clear, like, I don't think we're advocating, advocating or like saying we should not have high expectations right. or aim for like success. That actually is not what we're saying. Actually, I think that's really important. We want to have a collective effort toward all of us doing well, meeting expectations, doing well on tests, like all that is actually true. And I think that needs to be named. Like they're not in, they're not in opposition to each other. Yes. They're actually in, in, in support. And so one of the things that I think, you know, and I, as, as someone, and I will say, I am like, I have done this. I am guilty of this. This is not something that like, you know, I have, you know, mastered by any means. And yet we do it a lot here at the D school is one of the things that I think when we think about starting a year, for example, um, if you picture the first day of a school year and I have done this, I'm sure you have done this. I'm sure educators on this is like, we map out, here's what you need to be successful in your classroom. That's awesome. That is great, um, you know, and we map out whether it's like the disciplinary program, the norms in the classroom, or it's like, this is what this project needs to be. They're rubrics for lack of a better term. Yep, yep. And I think that's really important. I think expectations cleared on that, I'm all good on. The thing that I think we could add to that, it's a yes and, is like, what happens when you don't meet those? What happens when 
you feel like your work is not going there? What happens when you show up? And I'm not talking about discipline. I'm talking about like what happens when you're struggling with something with content and you feel like you're not getting it or you feel like you're not understanding it or you feel like whatever you're doing is never going to meet that thing or what happens when a student doesn't do that? And so I think what we're we're asking people to do is like, how can you have a conversation, if you will, about like when we have moments of failure? And I'll give you an example of, you know, oftentimes we will have classrooms where students get up and um, give a talk. I've been there, right? We're like, oh, they're going to stand up and give a presentation. And we talk a lot about what it means to be a good audience. Like, hey, you can sit up straight, you know, eyes, you know, eyes, shoulders, knees, like all those things, oh, take yeah. notes, put your phones away. Like those are all great facets of, of what it means to be an engaged audience. But have we had the conversation is what happens when a team member of yours loses their way, mm-hmm. breaks down on stage, forgets what they're saying and starts to fail in front of you? Those happen. You and I have been in those moments. Yeah. And yet we don't actually train our young people to think about what is our responsibility to each other when each of us are failing. Those are moments that like that to me is one of the big things and insights in this book is that we are going to have moments in our classrooms and our lives where we fail. That is the process of being human. That is the process of life. And yet how can we actually normalize with our young people that there are there might be some tough challenging learning situations this year and one you're going to be okay and when we're failing we're having moments of failure like you might anticipate this you might feel frustrated exhausted tired and like how do we actually open up that box to let students know that a those emotions are okay because you're you might not feel good about this and we're going to help you through this and not just have you put your head down and walk away frustrated, but like open the conversation of what does it feel like to fail? And you might have those moments this year, not in a negative sense, but learning is a process of iteration of trying something that didn't work. And so as someone who, um, you, and I, you and I have both been project-based teachers for years, and I think we spend a lot of time with young people saying, okay, let's get, let's make sure we have outlined all the the points of the rubric for what this project needs to be. Oh yeah. And I think the greatest moments of learning, however, that you and I probably have experienced is when students are unpacking what didn't work. That's actually the insight. And I think there's a missed opportunity for us at the beginning of work or at the beginning of the launch of a project or at the beginning of a year to say, whoa, what is our responsibility to each other when we start encountering failures in our work? How do we want to be? What emotions do we want to open ourselves up with? What supports might you need in order to get through these productive struggle moments? And those, I think, opening up that conversation or normalizing these conversations is a way forward for us to actually like think about how do we embrace failure as, a le- as part of the learning process, right? To getting us toward understand, you know, deeper understanding, you know, better work, et cetera. I love that. It's so powerful because as, as, as you're talking through that, you know, it goes back to when we first started there, like this work is not in lieu of trying to make sure that we are successful in the standardized test and the curriculum and the content. Like this is, this is space to help further nurture that. And a lot of times I've been, I've had this mindset working with, with some uh, incredible educators and, and administrator where like the standards become like the floor or they should be the floor. Like they're the non-negotiables, right? Like that's, 
those are things we're not going to escape. But then if we agree to that versus it being a checklist that, oh, we arrived there, we can go much further. And as you're talking through that idea of failure with that, and we can take that mindset of, okay, so this is just, these are the non-negotiables, but how far can we go beyond creating that space, this physical space, mental space, and emotional space is kind of how I, I continue to kind of wrap my head around it to allow us to pivot and have those conversations in the moments when those feelings come to light, whether that is you right. know, in the book, you talk about that disappointment, um, embarrassment, um, you know, the positive curiosity and humility and things of those natures to, to talk through that um, is just as vital, if not more That's vital right. than anything else. And so yeah. How are you seeing that happen? Because yeah. I think there's a lot of people that makes them a little nervous and it fits to another part of the book where it's kind of like these, we mean well by, but kind of those empty platitudes, right? Like I, yeah. my, my thing that I always talk about <laughs> is um, you put kids in a, a group for teamwork for, you know, collaboration and it falls apart because they don't necessarily know how to handle the, the tension. And our response is, well, you guys got to figure it out. Well, they can't figure it out. That's why there's a tension. So what are we going to do to intervene? Not for us as the adult voice to say, this is how you'll work, but how do we engage in a conversation of going, what needs to happen here? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. You know, what are some things that you're seeing or some examples? I mean, I know there's not uh, the magic bullet for all of this, but I think that is a, yeah. an area that makes a lot of a lot of us as adults a little nervous to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't know how to do it. That we didn't go to school for that. We went to school no. you know, and we were told this. And now all of a sudden you're like, now I gotta, I gotta, how do how do I how do I frame well, this and that's right. And I think that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book is so that we can start conversations about failure. And I think that like, you know, one of the things why I love doing podcasts and stuff is like, you know, as Aaron knows, I'm like, I'm not an Instagram star. I'm not a Twitter person. You know, I'm not trying to like have my big thing on the <laughs> side, but you know, um, but I am thinking about like, again, as Aaron, as Aaron, as you know, I'm very much a practitioner, like what can we do tomorrow? And so the reason, part of the reason why I wrote the book is like, here are 10 stories yeah. that you actually could read with your young people and say, have you ever experienced a moment like that? Like, let's read this story and like unpack. How do you think this person felt? What does it remind you of? And then this is where we as educators get to step in and say, you know what? I actually had a moment just like this too. Let me tell you my favorite failure. And then there's an opportunity for the students to say, oh yeah, I have had this too, right? Well, it doesn't have to be like this grand thing, but like, oh yeah, I've, I've wrestled with feeling curious or embarrassed or not feeling enough. And like having those small conversations that actually opens up the vulnerability. And so one of the reasons why we have, you know, 10 different ways in actually into this, into the book, um, is one, it gives you 10 different ways in to like start that feels comfortable with you, but it's an opportunity for students to read this story and say, oh, other people have felt this too. Other people have felt disappointment when they have failed and it's okay. And again, we, we specifically tried not to um, write stories about like, and again, I live in Silicon Valley. So there's probably this like dialogue or like, these are stories from so-and-so who had 10 startups and now they're a billionaire. That's not these stories. Uh, these are everyday stories about, you know, all of us as human beings having moments that are, I would say their favorite failures because they've changed us. They've given us greater empathy. They've changed how we look at the world and ourselves. They're not in pursuit of like this next big project, this next yeah. thing, but true failures, the ones that actually do impact us, 
are the ones that really shape us. And they don't have to be like, I tried 12 times and now I've got this, you know, um, pattern on my thing. You can have that. But I think the ones that probably are the ones that we often overlook are these little micro failures, the moments that like, oh, I didn't feel seen in a classroom or I got on stage and everyone froze. Um, one of my favorite stories from the book is actually the frozen story. Yeah. Um, and I'll give a precursor on that one, but, um, you know, this, this, uh, young person slash researcher was standing up on stage, giving their very first talk. Um, they had their note cards and they were, um, they're emerging bilingual person and they, you know, froze. And if anyone's ever tried to give a presentation, a whole bunch of people, uh, it's not an easy feat, you know, even for the most experienced people. And so what I loved about that story was that, you know, someone in the audience started clapping. And we always say like, whether it's, doesn't have to be the literal form of this, like who is the first person to clap in a classroom when someone is actually, how do we actually support that? Not in a ridicule way, but like in a supportive way um, so that people know it's okay. And so I think, again, I think where we can get started is like starting to share stories of failure, like from ourselves as educators, unpacking that. I could see the use case for this is like in a classroom at the start of a of adult PD where we're like trying to take on a new initiative. Like we've all had these experiences. So whether you're trying, if you're gonna try something new, by and likely you are not going to do it well the first time. Right. And so how do we just, how do we give people opportunities to like unpack that um, from others? And then of course, think about it for themselves. Yeah. I mean. I I love I love that story because I can just that feeling where even though it's probably you know three seconds on the stage or in front of a class or wherever your scenario might be where you your brain freezes and it feels like it's three years and it's just like you just feel like you just want to like crumble and you know magically disappear um, and that story I just love that 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 power of someone clapping to you know and then as anything it, it calibrated the thinking and kind of got the the juice was flowing again and then the person was able to to proceed and and you know do well um the other story in there that was a gut punch to me because it was a gut punch because i know that i've done it and it's like it was a good reminder of why i continue to push my own learning was uh i think it was michael Pryor, um and the words that hit me uh was talking about when he was early in the teaching for uh compliant engagement and to me, I was like, oh, and compliant engagement. Yeah. He has in parentheses in there, you know, do as I say, and then we can have a great time, uh, you know? And it just, I, I think about I like how many times myself, both in the classroom and maybe early on in doing adult learning, like, hey, let's get through this. Let's let's do this and then we can go do that. Or, you know, in, yeah. in the project-based learning world, it's that kind of yeah. project-oriented learning. Like, let's go do all the things and then, you know, we'll have this thing. And to me, yeah. that, was, that was like, yeah, yeah I know like, I can, I can resonate with that. And that's what I like about these stories is yeah. like you said, it's, I'm not trying to compare myself to someone that has a, a million dollar startup. It's these, these are, I would say real people, everybody's real, but like you yeah. can relate to every single one of them, no matter who you are, because we've, that's we've right. shared experiences as just being people in, in life. hundred percent. And that story in particular, it's like, we've all been there. We're like, especially as you know, if you're a new educator, whether you're a coach or a teacher for the first time, we're taught like compliance is the way to go. And in this story, right, they're like, well, this parent's educating and they're like, oh, no, my 
oh, that was great data, but transformed, right? Um, how he engages his, engages his classroom later on or how he teaches. And those are those moments that, again, they change your perspective. And again, yeah. it's not right. We all have them. That's the point. And I think part of it is like opening ourselves up to be like, oh, wow, how did that change my view? How do I let people know? And that's the vulnerability. And I think, I mean, you and I started this conversation a little bit, even pre-podcast recording about like the state of education, where we started around like, where is things going, highs and lows, et cetera. Um, and I think one of the things that we need to continue to wrestle with um, are these moments of failure of just like, are we really paying attention to them? You know, um, and sometimes we don't. And sometimes it takes you like 10 years to actually notice and look back and that's okay too. Um, but I do think getting us more clear about like, oh, these are the moments that actually set our values sometimes. And we have to like, if we're going to continue to get better at doing cool stuff in schools and be successful, like having those moments where we actually just unpack failure. We're really good at appreciative inquiry in school sometimes or success or not. So, well, some schools are, um, but really allowing us to like not see failure as this deficit, but actually really as a way to understand, um, you know, what are the nuggets of insight that we need to hold on to in order to move forward? Yeah. And it just reminds me like literally yesterday in a, we're, we're in the middle of a, a big, a big project, um, looking at the sense of survival and past, present, future. And anyways, this group has been kind of floundering in the, this idea of their concept, identifying their problem and, and a solution. And I won't go into all that for the, just for the sake of time, but they've been grappling with what they thought they wanted to do, but you could tell they weren't passionate with it. And they just wanted someone to give them the answer. And we kept telling them like, the minute we start as the adults start to give you insights, it becomes our project, not yours. And, you know, like, but how do we keep going? Anyways, the light bulb finally clicked yesterday. And this group, like the, you just felt the energy. The one student's like running around the library because I think like it finally, and it was a complete 180 from where they were, but yet it wasn't. And so they have their project board, their workstation, all their notes and sketches, and they're getting ready. They're like, well, we got to take all this down. And we're like, no. But they're like, but, but this is all wrong. It's like, no, no, it's not wrong. That's how you got this. This is the journey. Like none of this is wrong. Yes, we're going to move some of these maybe to the done because we don't need them, but we're keeping all this up because this is how you got to this point in which you are excited. And so there's that piece as you're talking there too, like this this misconception, right? Like we we pivot or we move a different path or we go somewhere else, but it doesn't mean all things we did before. Like that's all that's right. right. Those are the steps to get you to this this moment right. where you're like, I've got it. And I and I yeah. and I think that and it reminds me of my favorite line in the book that that you that you wrote in there. And it it's it's part of the mystery behind failure is this opportunity to surprise yourself. And so I think that's mm. exactly what happened in that thing. And maybe yeah. I love that line so much because it literally was oh. real time yesterday. But I think mm -hmm. that's that's it. This expected and unexpected, this yeah. loose tight. And so I think you were you're like you're, you're spot on with so much of the the work yeah. in this in this topic around failure. I mean, that's the interesting thing. And it's like, and this is really, you know, Ron really gets at it too. There's a couple elements of surprise. And I love that moment because I felt that moment where you're like, and it is a visual thing. Yeah. I mean, there are two things on that that I think is really important. And again, this is this is uh, thinking about productive struggle, right? Which is as a term that you know, well known about like thinking about how people go through learning. And learning is a productive struggle, so you have to have the first. Sometimes 
this is the piece that frustration and joy come together. Yeah. Um, we often use a journey map here at the D school that my, my executive director, Sarah Stein Greenberg developed, which is having people track their learning moments in a project and then their emotions in a project. Mm. Not surprising. And we've done this in every, we do this at the end of a lot of many design projects or at the beginning, actually, where you see that the biggest moments of learning, the moments where like people, like I really jam something, often the moments where they might feel frustrated, which are quickly followed by at some point, this peak. And so you can't get to the peak until you've had this, like, I really wrestled with that. And I think that's in a world where I think like we are sitting in schools where like, you know, um, surprise is actually not welcomed. Like you better have the answer and it's gotta be in the book, you know, that past one, like, how do we keep open to that? Because I do think the learning is the stuff that comes up on you unsuspected. And, you know, we really, as educators and our young people, we need to be surprised by the insights that we uncover. And that is so fun. Like you, I saw, I saw your face as you were describing your students. Yeah. yeah. And that it's surprising because you didn't know where they were going to go with it. Right. And like, and all of a sudden they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I have this in me. I have this capacity to develop something new. And that is transformational. That in and of itself, that's the moment they stick with, you know? And I think that's the moments that we're trying to think about is like, we need to have these um, surprising moments of learning because that's the stuff that sometimes gives us the agency, the ambition to be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try this new thing. But if, if everything is, uh, is really um, not surprising in school, everything is predictive and everything is kind of set out for you and everything is in the back of the book. You don't get those like deep moments of like, I, I figured this out. And that's really, um, those are moments that like, I didn't, again, transform you, but also cultivate a really strong sense of learning to learn a strong sense of agency. Yeah. And it's just, it, you know, we look at this topic of failure is not just about project-based learning, but that's just the, the, the world I live in quite a bit, you know, like that's what that ebb and flow and that ownership of that idea when, when that spark happens is what keeps the sustained inquiry going. It's like people always ask, well, how do you get to keep the kids interested? Because well, you get out of their way. Uh, we're, we're here to, to obviously create, you got to have some creative constraints, but we are here to help ensure that they're continuing to move along this, this, this learning journey, not, that we all must memorize these these same things along the way and trying to navigate that is such a huge mind mind shift for so many leaders um educators too but really i think more leaders who who don't see it's hard to to see that like it's almost invisible learning in some ways like i that, that's like one of my biggest things i i like that learning emotional journey thing i we need I'm in my head, I'm going, we need to do that. Um, because like, how do we bring this out? How do we bring this narrative out along the way for people to see it? Because I don't think anybody's against it. It's just a hard to process and say, yes, let's 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 put some time and energy and effort into this because um, they can't see it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, a paper yeah. pencil test, you can see, you can see that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, unless you have a camera yeah. rolling 24 seven, nobody's going to see that spark yesterday when those kids yeah. like when it ignited because you never know when it's going to happen um yeah and so it's you know that's that's the thing one of the things i've, I've been well, trying to grapple with well and this might be a little bit provocative but i think that like what you just mentioned is also talking about, about curiosity and i do think curiosity is what sustains us through moments of failure and i think there's something interesting for all of us as educators like if a young person is not actually curious about this thing 
like what they're actually doing probably doesn't feel so good. They're like, this, they might not, they're like, well, this is horrible. Like it might feel like torture. They're like, I'm not curious about it. So like then you're asking people to iterate and fail on topics that like they have no curiosity in. Yeah. And so that may not actually help their productive struggle, you know? Um, and so productive struggle, which is embedded in the, you know, the framework um, around that is like, there should be some curious learning that envelops in that. That is actually what sustains you through productive struggle is this capacity to keep going and to learn more. And so I think it is a call for all educators. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're doing a project-based learning assignment or whether you're doing like a simple like math problem, like asking young people, like, what did you think about that? Why do you think that is? How can we spark curiosity within any learning so that students can tap them, find their curiosity within the assignment or within the unit or within the task, right? What gets them curious? So those are things that we can start to do so that we can start building their curiosity um, in small ways. If they, I mean, again, maybe you can't change the unit. Maybe you have to teach this exact content. Totally get that. But like, are there small things like, do you agree with this? Like opening, opening up students to like opinions. Like, do you think they got it right or wrong? Like having them small ways to just like poke at what they get curious about um, allows students to realize, A, they are curious uh, and B, like, gives you ways into how you might design some things in the future that really spark that curiosity and allows them to kind of iterate and uh, try new things. Yeah, I like that because, and and I know there's all sorts of various levels of um, ownership that we can do within the classroom. I mean, I know there's a different case story for every building and district, no matter where you are, but so much of that is maybe we can't always control the what, but where are those moments where we have some professional say in, in how we do that? And it's like you said, even if it is just sparking some dialogue and, and, and question stems to get them talking about it. I mean, if that's, it's, it's better than nothing. And that's one of the, another key insight of the book that was in there was, I know curiosity drives us through perseverance, but there was just such an aha of connecting some powerful words of using that curiosity to, to persevere through that learning journey when it's not always easy, when the idea doesn't work yet again, yeah. but, you're, but you're close. But when they are curious yeah. and it's their idea and they want it to work, they will persevere. It, it is. That's right. I mean, it's 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 the human condition, like just get out of their way because they want it to work. And you're talking about, and it may, made me think the opposite when they're not curious, we continue to kind of almost stack failure moments on them. Gosh, does that even like, does that do more harm than good? Like, and I, like you know what I mean? Like, what is that? Like, I already am not invested and now I have to go I through know. this and I'm going to go through it again and again. Like, yeah. Oh, like, what does that do? Like long-term? Um, I think is, it might know. be soul crushing. It's like, <laughs> oh, I do that again. I mean, I remember this is actually, and I don't know if it was from your community or somebody else, but I think it was, uh, it might've been, um, I remember a student was developing a high velocity, sustainable golf ball mm. one of your projects. This is back in the day. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. And I remember it was a project that we did in Iowa with, you know, we're training teachers in your community, in your area. And I remember the superintendent told me that like, he's like, I knew that my student, this was important because my child on the way home from an exhibition, they presented this, they presented their golf, and it didn't work, hadn't worked yet. They were trying to figure it out. And he was sitting in the car home. And I remember the, the superintendent called me up and he was like, this is why this is important. He's like, we were coming home from the exhibition and all my kid could talk about was how they're gonna get to the next rep. They're like, I gotta fix this. They were just continuing to be curious about it. how to improve this thing. And um, and then his, his 
the the superintendent looked to his son and he's like, wait a second, don't you have a test tomorrow <laughs> on something else? They're like, yeah, but all this stuff's in the book. I'm good. Like, yeah. and, and it's like, let's go back to the, let's go back to the project. And so the student, you know, was more curious about iterating and getting curious about how to improve their learning. That was the difference, you know, like he was like, whoa, here's my student getting invested in learning and really thinking about it as well. Um, and those are the conversations that I think we as educators, you know, as parents as well in communities, like when kids are coming home, those conversations in the car, like, what do you get? What are you getting curious about? Yeah. What's lighting you up? Those are the questions, you know, I remember I was working with a school in uh, New Mexico. And after we started doing some of this work, I remember a parent came up to me like, oh, yeah, kids are learning because they're talking about whatever they were learning in in the car about what they got curious about, what they're interested in. They couldn't figure it out. They're like, whoa, mm. not like I didn't like my teacher, my friend, et cetera. They were talking about like learning. Yeah. Yeah. And what was interesting to them, what they didn't like, what they didn't agree with. It was like they were talking about content in some way which was like, oh, they're getting curious. And I remember a parent was like, oh, I see how this works because my kids are having conversations about physics in the <laughs> carpool. Yeah. Like, what's that about? You know, right, and that was, right. like a, that was like what we call, I would consider an uncommon indicator of just like, we're doing something that's working that is allowing students to tap into stuff that like they're getting curious about. Yeah. And those are good signs. You know, those are good signs. I love that, that uncommon indicator. That's, I think there's something there. We're just we're preparing for uh, a presentation for school boards, actually, and I've reached out to you on that. I, I know as well. Oh, yeah. and, and one of the things that we were trying to, we've been thinking through is like, what are these sound bites to help people who maybe are curious about this but don't quite know how to yeah. put the story together to bring it back to their districts and why they need it. And and we were talking yeah. about an experience we had last year where the uh, in, in the exhibition, this parent was in tears, like tears of, of joy and maybe awe. And they're like, I never knew this side of my kid. Like, I never like, <laughs> like, who is this person? And they're just like, like this, this still enamored by how their kid was presenting and sharing and articulating and, and working with adults and talking through their ideas, you know, it's just it's kind of like the the student yesterday. They got excited in that moment. It was couldn't help, but they just had to physically run around the room. This parent was the same way. Like this, this like emotional flood of like, oh my, like, like look at my kid, right? Like these are those moments, and not that those are going to happen all the time, but those are some of those unexpected, those surprises that that develop when there's like, like you talked about the learning is sticky when it's tied to emotion, yeah. and it can be both yeah. the the various ten emotions of failure, the good and the bad, and everywhere in between. That's right. So I think that's it's, right. I think it's so so powerful. And so Laura, I want to be respectful of your time because I could dissect this book with you and, <laughs> and, and make a uh, talk for 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 ten days. On yeah. it. But as as we kind of bring this to a close here, you know, is there anything else that we didn't? bring to the mm. table that you want to make sure that listeners who are new to your work, new to the book, new to just this kind of thinking in general, um, that you want to make sure you, you get a chance to share um, that you didn't get yeah. time for. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that we, again, try to do is like, really, as you said, uncover the fabric of failure, which is like these different ways in, right? Essentially to like poke at different ways of understanding failure through different types of emotions, perspectives, or, or tacits, um, or tenants, excuse me. Um, but I think one of the, the biggest things that we really want people to remember in the book is one is that success and failure are not um, in opposition. 
they are, they work in collaboration with each other. And so we're never on this, like, I'm always successful. I'm always a failure. They're always in, in relationship to each other. And I think that's a really important piece. I also think that one thing that we really um, uncovered in the book, which I think is really important is that, and again, this speaks to so much is like, when you make a mistake, right? A mistake. And I often um, think about um, mistakes are like, oh man, I burned the chicken, you know? <laughs> That's a mistake. It happens. We all do that. Um, a failure that has a, a really that might be a habit for me. I don't know. Yeah, that's me that too. Me too. <laughs> right, habitual head mistake. But um, it's like failure has a little bit more uh, weight to it. Like it has this thing. And I think one thing that we really uncovered in the book is that like all failures, it seems like we're uncovering, have some type of communal aspect to them. If I burn my chicken at home and I serve it to my family, they're like, "Oh, you know, Aaron, you're not sitting up all night." dreading or you're like oh my god you might not become a chef you might have that insight but you might also but it's not going to be like oh my gosh but failure like true failure is something that really sits with you that changes your dna that sits in some part of your emotional bandwidth and you know they're all it's always in relationship to others into community you know there is the self and so we often say um i failed at something like that's a very i failed at this and I think there's always, as educators, we have to say, like, did they fail? I fail, or did we fail? You know, failure is, what we notice is everything that we noticed in the story was in, in relationship to community. And so if failure is some type of community aspect, there is a communal re um, relationship, then I think we as educators have to ask, like, what is our responsibility to failure in our schools and to our community? And that's the dynamic, you know, and you can look at that from a small, like standing up, doing a project. How do we respond to a, stand, a student standing up and not doing well to like the systems, right, that we employ in schools that make students feel like a, like a failure when they walk in the door because the school is not designed for them. Those are always right in connection to community and to policies and to systems and society. And so I think we have to start looking at like we failed. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean like you made a grave mistake. You might have done something wrong. But like what things were in place in your community that like made this student or encouraged a student to shut down and actually not see this failure right as a learning moment. Mm -hmm. Those are juicy provocations that um, we get to unpack, you know, and say, well, where can we help? you know, young people grow, where can we have them feel more sense of belonging, inclusive, take more bold or beautiful risks, as Ron likes to say. Um, those are questions that we can wrestle with when failure happens, um, is where is the community aspect in all of these? Um, and oftentimes we put the failure on the, on the person, like they failed. And yet we like disassociate ourselves from that. And yet the thing that we learn about failure is like, when you see someone failing, you know it. It is a visceral, you watch someone failing and you're like, oh, oh, that's, that's tough. Yeah. We feel it. And yet we do nothing sometimes. Mm. We kind of sit back. Oh, and like, how do we as educators and as people, as coaches have a lot of empathy to be like, oh yeah, what's my responsibility in this moment for this young person um, so that they can get through this moment, that they can actually go through those emotions that you described and, and step into those and not say, Oh, you know, good job. You had a bias toward failure. Like, great. But let's let's unpack that and how do we actually move through that so that we can see that moment as a real opportunity that we grew from that. Um, it didn't, you know, stick with us and actually um, stagnate us. I love that, and that's 
just the perfect uh, mic drop, you know, as we as we bring this up, and it, it does remind me. I mean, as you say that, it, that you guys had that in, uh, in the book, the phrase like the squishy middle that the learning doesn't happen in the in the moments of of the polarity of success and failure, because so many times in, in education system, those are maybe too much to a fault, and we that's another provocation to think about. Those are usually so clearly defined, right? Like these very kind of black and white uh, rubrics or these things we have in place, and either you failed or you were a success. And you know, and and even if you have a good system where that can be more ambiguous in terms of we can we can shift that in the real time learning. The, it's the learning that happens in between, and uh, people can't see this, but I have my hands up because when I when I read that part, Laura, which is what you just talked about, it reminded me of the old school game that was back when I had hair uh, of of pong, and to me those become these these boards those us as the educators or the leaders of the systems. We're those 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 vertical bars, the levers that we use in the game to keep the ball in play. And the kids and our learners and our, or the adults we support, our job is to keep them moving between success and failure. And that was like that, that squishy middle. That's what that reminded me of, like the, the ball kind of passing in between. And our job is to make yeah. sure that they don't go out of bounds. We, you know, they, That's right. they, they hit the success. What's bouncing back to keep going They hit the failure. What's bouncing back towards that other way. That's right. And it's this That's continuous right. journey. And so I just, uh, That's right. I love what you shared. I love and that. I, and I, I just loved that was the visual that came to mind when I was reading that. And that's cool. So Laura, that's this awesome. is, yeah, as always, so fun. always a treat, always a treasure to connect. Yeah. And, uh, it's always better when I get to see you in person and, yeah. uh, but you know, we're in, in the world of zoom, this, this works just as well. So I appreciate right. you carving out time and I'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, but in general, if people want to learn more about you, find your work, I'll put the link to the book and I know a lot of your handles, but for those listening in, if they want to, to dive in right away, you know, where can people go to find more about you? Um, oh yeah, for me, uh, just Twitter, you know, Laura McBain, et cetera. And then of course on the B-School website. So great. Awesome. So for those that are listening, if you're not enticed, if you don't haven't already ordered the book, but you need to go out and do it. It's 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 so good. Um, one of the best that's out there in terms of the amount of questions to make you think um, about mm. our practices, um, mm. our systems, you know, and and all the good things. So um, thank you so much for the work that you do and you continue to do um, because you're you're pushing the needle forward as we continue to. Uh, cycle through these conversations as new people come into the education world and these are the new provocations that uh, we all need to, to wrestle and grapple with. So I appreciate the awesome. work that you do. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's such a joy and an honor. So thank you for including me. Yes. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> awesome. up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.